0: all by your own bright power what could i do without you without your loving arms holding my heart from arms you are my life well hello and welcome you are listening to the spiritual exercises i'm rachel amaday so happy to be with you all this week I am continuing on with the last post in finishing up the chapter on worship from my book, Jesus Was Not a Modern Day Christian. I decided to go ahead and do an audiobook, kind of, uh, basically just providing for my subscribers, me reading some of the chapters of this book. Hopefully, I'll get to all of them at least most of them. As many of you have asked for an audiobook version, it is a lot of work to put together a true, clean audio version. And so I will get to that eventually, have not gotten to it yet, but still wanted to provide this for those of you that have asked. So I hope you enjoyed the last edition where I did the first um, many pages of my chapter on worship. Now, what's cool about my book is you can treat each chapter completely separately as its own essay. And I did that on purpose. I wanted people to be able to read at their own pace or at their own leisure or at their own whim or fancy. If you want to go in and understand more about God as someone who created the family, you can do that. Um, I would suggest before you dig into the book that you do the very first chapter that is on definitions, defining terms, just so you understand some of the terminology. If you are not very um, dug deep into kind of the more messianic Movement, you might not understand all the terms that I use throughout the book, but other than that, you can treat these chapters completely separately. So that's kind of nice. Last week we did the first major portion of the chapter on worship. And in that chapter, I really talk about the amazing similarities between Moses and David and Yeshua. Um, Moses and David being major worship leaders, in my opinion, in scripture based on what they did and what they wrote. And we get to Yeshua and we see the prophetic in what Moses and David did. And so we're continuing on in that understanding. If you did not listen to worship part one, I would suggest you go back, you listen to that section of the book, and then you pick up here as we continue with the reading. This is from my book, Jesus Was Not a Modern Day Christian. So let's continue just as the stones David pulled from the river, freed Israel and judged the Philistines, the waters of the reed sea freed Israel and judged Egypt. So God's law and Yeshua frees God's people and judges those outside of his redemption. Just as Paul describes, we're given the right to conquer sin through the sacrifice of Yeshua. We are made new and able to live in righteousness without this gift. The law is a judge. It only shows us our separation and with it, death. If we are not in Yeshua, we become like Goliath or the Egyptians. We are unable to enact the miracles of God. We are in opposition to this, his kingdom. And guys, I'm just doing a little review here of the last final page before we move on. Just so you are aware, if you're thinking, oh, I already heard this last week, you did. This is just kind of an overlap. I'll continue here. Yet, through Christ, the waters of life from which God's kingdom is pulled baptizes and releases us. We are allowed to abide in God's truth and love and adore His kingdom principles. We are Israel, freed from Egypt. We are David, defeating Goliath. We are in Yeshua, conquering death. How fascinating that water and blood came from Yeshua's side as He was pierced on the cross. The blood was the covering that brought Yovel or Jubilee which meant freedom for slaves in the Hebrew nation throughout the Old Testament. Jubilee was a commanded time where all debt was released and freedom was proclaimed and granted. Additionally land was returned to the original owners. Yeshua's blood is restoration to fullness of life and the water is baptism. We are freed from sin, from Egypt, from Goliath, restored to our destiny in Yeshua and baptized into new life. We are able to defeat Egypt to defeat Goliath, to defeat sin, to conquer death. The light of life is Yeshua, and he is the embodiment of bread and water, the spiritual bread and water given to us as the very word of God. We cannot come up with anything more powerful to defeat an enemy or more powerful to enact as worship. There is nothing that surpasses his word. If Yeshua himself used the highest and most powerful speech that he could to banish Satan from his presence, and that speech is from the Torah, why do we not do the same? Worship of God is founded in obedience to God's kingdom principles. There is no other power that comes close. The power of our ministry finds its authority in God's ways. There is no righteousness without right standing in his ways. And what about Noah? We usually apply this number 40 to the days and nights that the waters came and Noah was on the ark with his family and the animals. We learn from scripture that Noah walked with God. Genesis 6 verse 9. As the floods came, the earth was baptized into new life, just as the nation of Israel was baptized through the Reed Sea. To dispel the great waters of the flood, a wind came to dry the land, just as a wind parted the waters for the nation of Israel fleeing Egypt. A dove brings back news to Noah that land and trees have finally emerged from this baptism, just as a dove appears when Yeshua is baptized. And of course, each of these people receives a covenant from God. First, the Noahidic covenant, the covenant that God would never again destroy all life on earth. The sign of the rainbow is our continued assurance of this. Next, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant through the law. This covenant is an agreement between God and his people regarding his kingdom terms. Next, the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant promised that David would produce a house, that Yeshua would, would come through his line and establish a kingdom forever. And then the new covenant promises that the laws of God will no longer be written on stone, but become part of our hearts. In individual personal relationship, we will be God's people and be grafted in as spiritual Israel. We will now become part of both the physical world and the spiritual eternity, regaining access to both, just as Adam and Eve had in the garden. Being born into a spiritual kingdom, we now possess new spiritual DNA with access to eternity. Noah, Moses, and David are often referred to as men who walked with God. They abided in his principles and attended to his things as a daily practice. Yeshua himself walked out the principles of the Torah, proving his almighty status and showing us the image of perfection in human form. The ultimate goal of all the stories and writings that had preceded him, Yeshua is present in David, Moses, and Noah's stories. These are the ideal individuals to receive covenants, as covenant relationship requires continually walking with God and abiding in the covenant terms. These men all understood. They were worship leaders. You are called to be worship leaders, and to be like David, Noah, and Moses, we must be attending to more than music. Song is a powerful tool, but song is meaningless if the position of our hearts is not correct. It is nothing if we are not rooted in obedience and if we are not more than admirers of the Torah. We must be doers. Singing is nothing if we separate Yeshua from his own word and attempt to carry an idol of our own making into our ministry or into battle. I want to encourage the church to start by being salt and light and understanding how we stay salt and light. The position of leadership we have is undermined when we abandon sound doctrine and logic, when we stray from the path Yeshua laid before us. Our roles as worship leaders are meant to defeat giants, and yet we don't understand how easily we hand over our power when we tolerate evil by ignoring God's laws. If the church worships a god separate from the Torah, it worships an idol. I fear I have led worship in many a church, many a church, that did not worship the same God that I do. My God has not changed. My God is true from Genesis to Revelation, and his ways are righteous from Adam to the ends of the universe. It is time for the church to pledge allegiance to the true king, even if it means the world sees the all piercing our ears our fear of being different has cut off our power but we are called to be different from the world a holy set apart people we are not to approve of or ignore darkness david spoke differently than the average soldier of israel he spoke of defeating the giant he spoke of the evil of the philistines and the goodness of god no fear held him back and no worry deformed his speech he believed in the god of abraham isaac and jacob Among entire troops of the doubting, he was willing to make the bold claim that God would defeat Goliath because of this holiness. He was useful in battle and useful in worship. A light cannot help but change a dark room. It gives colors meaning and reveals shape and form. Light defines what is taking place in the space it enters. David defined the spiritual reality. Goliath was nothing to the living God. The American church rarely defines evil or righteousness for people in our modern contexts. Little light is left to shine in the darkest corners where the masses stumble over the sharp edges of sin. We do not speak to the weapons of Goliath or the route to victory against spiritual enemies. So I guess the question is, are we the light? What do we bring to our earthly space? What is our worship rooted in? If worship is living as a bodily sacrifice, ready to carry the light wherever we go, then have we let our light go out? How can we fulfill our call as worshipers if we do not carry the light? Remember Romans 12.1. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your physical act of worship. But Romans 12.2 clarifies this even further. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul then suggests all manner of ways to use our gifts for the Lord and his community. To serve each other in love, to honor one another and take care of each other, action becomes worship of our God. David worshiped God by admiring the Torah and lifting high the Lord for speaking the Torah to us. He recognized the gift and mystery, power and spiritual purpose of God's ways. He admired his king for creating such a beautiful kingdom. He used the power of the Torah to defeat his enemies and spoke boldly of it in assemblies. He danced with joy before the Lord and wrote songs about the perfection of God's law. What would the world look like if we worshipped like David? There is a strong tie between the obedient, humble, and action-oriented fathers of our faith coincidence cannot easily explain the miraculous mystery of god's details binding noah moses and david and surely others to yeshua god took pleasure in their obedience and laid out similarities to help us unite yeshua to his law his word and his people moses writing defined kingdom rules david loved these rules yeshua is those rules the Torah itself. To worship the true God, we must accept the true principles of his kingdom. We must have the heart of David, loving the God who gave us such deep marvels to ponder and pour over, enveloping us in wonder. What we often miss in the story of the prodigal son is that to return to the father, he had to leave his destructive life. He pulled himself up from the pig pen, put one step in front of the other until the city was behind him, and repentantly plod to his father's house ready to sacrifice his body in service to his dad. Mm. Disobedience discourages relationship and praise of the creator. Shame and guilt often make singing songs to God all but impossible. Not to mention shame and guilt left to fester will build anger, confusion, and dissociation with God. While we still embrace the pig pen, we miss out on our dad's rich, loving house. Worship in spirit and truth pleads for a clean heart, a sound mind and a face turned toward the light, not attempting to blend in the darkness here and there at the edges. If we cannot accept a life submitted to God above ourselves, then we have not offered all of us. We are holding back. We are worshiping something else. Do you see why singing some songs on Sunday falls hopelessly short of true worship and reverence? Where there is no respect for the kingdom terms, There can be little admiration for the God who authored them. While the believer embraces the mercy and grace of a good father, we must also not appease or approve of darkness. We are in that darkness to be the light. You cannot bring Sin City with you into the throne room of God and expect blissful union. The prodigal son left his sin to enter into the presence of the Father. Spirit and truth belong to those humble souls who are more interested in pleasing God than pleasing themselves. In humility, we discover the shape and texture of the house of the Lord. We admire the legal standards of the heavenly kingdom and adhere to its principles because of our love for its king. We know our Father's house and rest in the peace and prosperity of its familial behaviors. Worship like David and Moses. Next section, modern worship music. The modern philosophy around this word worship is still applicable and important to address. What about music? What about our ritual behaviors towards God? Are we pleasing or missing Mark? In doing some research, in doing some research on the largest producers of the modern worship song products, I came across some disturbing information. Places like Bethel Church obsess over the Passion Translation of the Bible. This watered-down, man-made, Western-minded, weak translation could be called an interesting accompaniment to Scripture, but never should be called Scripture itself. As an aside, Alyssa Childers outlines a few of the problems the Brian Simmons Translation presents. You can look that up. The doctrinal underpinnings of churches who use translations like this, as if they are the inerrant word of God, should be suspect at the very least. Language matters, as we have seen in the stories of Moses, David, and Yeshua. Take away or change one small word, the number 40, for example, and all ties to antiquity, meaning, and the root of Yeshua can be lost. Do not fall for the nonsense that artists often describe as more relevant interpretations. The English translation of the Bible already has enough problems of its own. Our modern pride does not need to add to them. For example, while the ET, a Hebrew word meaning the Aleph and Tav or Alpha and Omega, and possibly referring to Yeshua himself, shows up over a thousand times in the Old Testament, our English Bible does not translate it quite that way. So, we may be missing Yeshua in some of our cursory readings of the Old Testament. There are many other issues that are even more glaring than that. If people are ignorant about what words, words mean, teach them the meaning of the words. To change God's word instead promotes intellectual laziness already too common in our culture. The American Christian should be the most educated person around. And if the church family is unwilling to educate its congregants, we will be found to be the most naive. Naivety does not make for a strong Christian. Bethel is not alone in the wandering of larger, more influential churches. Throughout much of Christianity today, we elevate experience over truth and an emotional high over a solid foundation. It is why modern worship music is so emotionally manipulative. Now, listen, I love a good bridge that gets you singing. I'm a musician. This stuff is fun. It really is. But just because it feels good does not prove it is good. Evil has crafted music to work people into exactly the same emotional frenzies. Is it any wonder Paul discusses orderly worship in his letters, especially to the Corinthians? The Romans also used music in their religious ceremonies for attaining a unity, for chaos, or for focus. Music is elemental for the spirit. Its power cannot be underscored enough for good and for evil, Music assists in changing the emotions of the listener. Do you really believe you aren't manipulated by church music in this fashion? And yet, how often do you analyze the ideas behind the music we sing as a congregation? As a worship leader, I hate to admit it, but when asked to sing certain songs, I sometimes secretly change a lyric or two on the slides. I disdain the idea of people singing lies to the God of truth. It happens more often than I would like to admit, but my reasons are fair. For instance, how many songs teach the pre-tribulation rapture? A very debatable and, I would say, scripturally not provable doctrine. How many teach that the church was started in Acts and not in Exodus? I know the wildly popular song, King of Kings, claims in their final verse that the Church of Christ was born after Yeshua came. Well, this is not exactly the case. God started his church, his called-out assembly, in Exodus. We are grafted into a root. A new root is not started midway through Scripture. How many songs insist that we are broken pieces of garbage with no say in the darkness of the world? Am I being too harsh? Maybe. Okay, I'll tone it down. But too much worship music is too weak and filled with inaccuracy to be any good for anything more than an emotional high. But when I need something that grounds me, Amazing Grace is my go-to. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Yes, I once had no hope, but now, now, what am I? I'm clay being formed. I'm a home being built. I'm a temple for a king. By grace, I was brought out of darkness and into light. I was pulled from the wreckage and made righteous. I'm not garbage. I'm not destitute. I'm a child of God and I do have a say in the matters of this world. It is my destiny to work in it, love on it, and make the difference I'm meant to. Salt and light cannot help but be tasted and seen. It is the nature of these things to bring flavor and preservation and to bring sight to the blind. It is supposed to be our nature to want to be holy. So, what worship songs reflect King David's idea about obedience and the love of God's laws. Think for a moment, which ones? Is anybody saying, I delight in your laws? How about the ones discussing sinners being like chaff or considered the way of the wicked leads to destruction, that age old popular banger. Just kidding. You get my point though. Our songs resemble nothing of our greatest worship leaders, ideas, or passions. We pick and choose the lines that make us feel likable. And we use the notes to do the rest of the work. Yeshua himself sang the Psalms. Yet we sing happy or dirgy, emotionally charged numbers that may or may not be good for us, but certainly don't often contain the depth of saltiness or light that songs defining good and evil should possess. And credit where it's due, I'll admit I really like Raise a Hallelujah. I love the story behind that one. I love The Great I Am. I think that one is powerful. Revelation song is unique in that it leads us straight to the awesomeness of God. There are some fine worship tunes out there. But the warning to you is this. Worship to the God of the Bible is defined by allegiance. So if our worship music never addresses the attributes of our King, if we are not admiring God's authority, Defining the call of a bondservant, I'm not sure we should call it worship. We can call it praise. It often is very focused on praise, an incredibly important aspect of our relationship with God. We can call it good. Lots of Christian music is good and fun to listen to, but is it worship? Furthermore, God has said that he wishes to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. If either is missing, we fall short. How true and spirit-filled is our worship and praise? The power of music elevates the ideas it embodies. What you sing becomes a part of you in a way so little else does. It forms a place in our brains and hearts that is easy to recall and even easier to stumble over. It is why I have grave concerns about the rise of artists like Cardi B, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, or Little Nas. Even country music is overwhelmed with breakup, hookup, and drinking songs. What are we doing as a culture? Well, Culture seems to belong to evil, and evil will surely use the power of music to do its bidding. Make no mistake, music is a great place to attack young hearts. And to me, that evil is actively working in all aspects of the music business, not just the secular part. Proverbs tells us to guard our hearts, for we create our lives from that space. Music seeks to hit at our hearts directly, be on your guard about what you sing. But do sing. The Bible also encourages us to praise God through music. Psalm 95 verse 1 says this, Come let us sing praise to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Sing strong, beautiful music to the Lord, making sure you know what you are singing. And do not forget that obedience and truth are essential pieces in our worship arsenal. They're not sidebars. They are at the core of our worship existence. God embodies the praises of his people. Psalm 22, verse three. He is pleased when we praise him with music, with our whole hearts in truth. We are given this powerful tool of music to give our entire spirits over to his praise and worship. Our understanding of biblical worship is laid out in scripture. Noah, Moses, David, and so many who loved Yeshua have all shown us that worship is the wholehearted embodiment of humility and righteous action. Our bodies are living sacrifices, and obedience is our physical act of worship. That is the end of the chapter on worship, chapter 10 from my book, Yeshua Was Not a Modern-Day Christian. I hope you enjoyed that. I really tried to hit home the idea that worship is not just about music. That word is about humility, bowing low, humbling yourself before God, and giving over all that you are, all that you have, all that you even desire to be in order to follow him. You know, I was reminded this week that even when we're facing challenges and we have to do hard things by ourselves, you know, in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember your name, except, except God. Every act of obedience you live out today, God will remember You don't have to write it down. You don't have to go seek out human praises for it. When you do good in the earth, whether it's seen or unseen, God will remember it. What matters most is that we love each other well and we love the Lord well. And yes, we can use music to do this just like David did, just like so many people in scripture did. There was an example set. There is an encouragement Worship God, praise him with music. But if your heart is not humbled before the Lord, if you are not willing to obey him, all the songs in the world are not going to make you a worshipful person. You're going to worship whatever it is that you do, right? It is in what you do that we see what you worship. And so my encouragement to you today is what it always is, to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. To go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that is commanded. In all of that, Yeshua is with you to the very end of the age, and none of it is forgotten. Worship is laying down your entire life, a holy sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord, a living sacrifice and that your day-to-day life and behaviors reflect the kingdom. This is so much harder than we want it to be. We want to just be able to go to church on Sunday, sing the songs, and check a box. And God says, no, that's not really what relationship is like. Relationship is every single day, in all that you do, you remember who it is that you love first. Mm, that is so much more. But think about all of the goods you're going to do as you continue to work towards honoring Christ with your body and your mind, with all that you have to give. So I hope that chapter helped inspire you to inspire you and showed you how from Genesis to Revelation, we are you're going to see these examples of true worship leaders, truly worshipful people and what they do is so, it's not just musical. I love David because David has all of it, right? Moses has a little bit of all of it, but boy, does David have all of it. David has the Psalms and the songs, but then he also has these radical acts of obedience and humility, these crazy examples of humility before the Lord. What comes to mind to me is that um, there's this moment, and I don't include this in my book, where David has the opportunity to actually kill Saul. Saul is actually seeking David's life, trying to kill David. David is hiding out, right? But he has this opportunity to take the life of Saul or to at least put him in bad position. And he basically says, you know, far be it from me to take the position or to harm the anointed one, the one that God anointed as king over Israel. He had so much respect over what God had done in the position that Saul was in and who Saul was supposed to be in that position, that instead of taking advantage of Saul, he humbled himself. And, you know, he reveals himself to Saul and says, listen, I could have killed you, but I decided not to, right? To try to bring peace to their relationship. I mean, this is extraordinary behavior this is a worship leader and it's why david is so honored even though david sinned even though david made actually multiple mistakes not just one many but you see that when god says you know he has a heart after my heart you can see how that's true you can see how david really did want to please god and just like all of us found himself in situations where he was making poor decisions but he kept coming back and he kept saying, Lord, renew me, change me, make me, mold me. I know I've done wrong, but boy, all of your things are right and righteous. It's such a good example to us of how to continue on even after mistakes, even after times where we may be disappointed in ourselves, in our worshipfulness. <laughs> um, it's not too late. You still have breath in your body today is the day. Do it now. Do it right this second. Go before the Lord. Ask him what your next step of obedience is. Be open to the answers that he gives you. Open up your Bible and test that spirit and what it has told you and go and do what God has required of you because he is the only one that remembers all of us. So you might as well do what pleases him because he's the only one who's going to remember at the end of the day who you are. And he's the only one who can give you access to his kingdom. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this particular chapter from my book. I'm going to continue in this. Um, We will see uh, how much I get done, but I hope it has blessed you. May you be very blessed until next time.